are the four pillars, what I consider the four pillars of human performance, right? So one is mindset, two is movement, the third one is recovery, and then nutrition. But the mindset's the most important because if you don't have the, the will or the drive, okay, or the belief to take yourself from one spot to the other, more than likely that's where people fail. So we want to start with the mindset. Where do you want to go? What are your goals? And how are we going to help you accomplish that in a way you understand? Hello and welcome to Vice Nutrition Podcast, the podcast that brings you conversations about nutritional health, mindset, and training topics. I'm your host, a certified nutrition coach, Daniel Weiss. And thank you for tuning in. My special guest today is Dr. David Brown, who goes by name Dr. Exercise. Besides many high performance, David coaches one of my previous podcast guests, Rebecca Clement. And our conversation today is centered around how to be the best athlete or a coach that you can be and what it takes to get there. If you like the podcast and you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a rating and a review online. And similarly, if you could share news about this podcast, I will be really glad and thankful. I mean, it would be great. And thank you for all of you who continue to do that. So once again, David, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And you have been like a coach for Olympic weightlifters and you have a lot of experience, it seems, also with your daughter. And actually, one of my previous podcast episodes was with Simply Whimsical, as she goes on Instagram, aka Rebecca Clement who is, as far as I know, one of your trainees and she actually recommended you. Uh, so did I ask you to join us for one of the podcast episodes? So can you tell us more about yourself? What's your spe- specialty and what's your passion? I'm sorry, you kind of, the question kind of trailed off a little bit. Um, so it kind of got hollow on my end. So you're talking about training with Rebecca? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. So I will repeat my question. Uh, in one of the pre, pre uh, one of the previous episodes was with Rebecca actually, and she recommended you. And as far as I know, she's one of your trainees. So uh, uh, maybe yes. you can introduce yourself because I believe you have vast experience in strength training, powerlifting, and also, as far as I know, your daughter was now at Youth Olympics in Olympic weightlifting, if I'm right. Yes, I was the head coach for the for the team as well there. So, um, right. So, so, so can, can you tell us more about your expertise? Okay. So, you know... My experience comes from, um, you know, I have a degree in uh, education. Um, I have a master's in uh, kinesiology, and I have a doctorate in uh, health science, um, specialized in uh, healthcare and organizational behavior and leadership. Um, so going back from the time from being a high school, college athlete, um, and then, you know, going into the military, um, You know, when I got done with that, you know, I did police sports while I was a police officer. But the whole time I was also involved with strength conditioning at the high school level 
at uh, two of the large high schools in uh, in my home state. Um, when I got done with that, I decided to go back to school and actually go back and do more strength conditioning as a whole. Um, and from there, that's where I created the persona of doctor exercise. So after I finished my doctorate, um, I created that to separate myself from what I like to consider to be the, the global gym factor. Because, you know, under personal training atmosphere, um, just about anybody could be a personal trainer um, in America, and it's not regulated. So um, I want to fix that somehow. Right. So you want to, to build like quality exercise regimes and uh, really help people, right? I'm sorry, shut uh, off a little bit. But um, are you there? Yeah, no, it's better. So, uh, yeah, it seems like you wanted to really help people with their strength and conditioning uh, instead of, like you mentioned, like global gym uh, factor or aspect, uh, people who go there and just do exercise and they have uh, quote-unquote personal trainers who don't care as much. You know, um, yeah, so my whole aspect is um, I like to use evidence-based practices as far as strength conditioning, which means whenever I prescribe something to somebody, um, it is actually based on research, okay? Um, there's more than enough research out there to where there's really not anything we're creating that's new. We may be taking parts of research uh, from different pieces and make it into um, to fit into a philosophy, but it's not something new. You know, for the most part, the human body has not evolved in almost about a million years, okay? So um, trying to go outside that and think you're creating something, I just think that's uh, false science. Um, and you're looking at, you're starting to hurt people in the long run. So you're looking more short-term versus long-term. Um, so I want to look at it from a holistic standpoint. Um, and that's where the E3 also came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's actually an interesting topic because nowadays uh, there are a lot of people, maybe including myself, who are interested like in improving the lives and uh, health of other people. And they started by, let's say, uh, trying to help themselves. And like you said, I see it all the time on social media that there are or different people have different philosophies when it comes to uh, training and nutrition and health. And some of them fall into that category of like biohackers and so on. And some people follow these um, evidence-based practices. So what, what do you actually think about these people who, who are in that area of like biohacking and trying all this new stuff. Is it, is it something that we can, let's say, rely on? Or is it something that can even hurt people? Or what do you think about it? You know, if I understand the, the, the question correctly, you know, my whole thought is I think exercise specialists need to actually have a, a um, understanding of a variety of um like applications for for lack of a better term. Um, so it comes to nutrition. Okay. You got vegan, you got people who believe in, in um, keto diets. You got people who believe in uh, paleo diets. Okay. 
But coming from an expert, well, not even an expert, coming from a professional standpoint, I think having an understanding in all those, because certain factors will affect people or different people a certain way. And you have to be able to adapt to the people instead of having people adapt to you, right? Especially when you're trying to get results out. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's out there. Um, does it work? Um, there's a lot of things that work. Um, a lot of it is actually short term. Um, and I look for more things that are going to be more long term um, with short term applications. You know what I mean? Right. I- I'm with you on that. <laughs> so, uh, w- what is your uh, actual the E3 phytology about? Because I saw it on the social media, it included things like uh, mindset and movement, nutrition, recovery to maximize personal performance. And this sounds very, very interesting. Right. So, what E3 actually stands for is, is educate, empower, and enrich. So we want to educate people on what this, on how to take the research and actually apply it, um, based, regardless of your interpretation, right? And then through the education piece, we empower people to go out there and be in charge of um, their lives and how they're going to get done or how they're going to accomplish the goals they want to physically and either either performance-based, either health-based, or um, even just uh, lifestyle-based, right? So if you want to be an athlete, We're going to teach you how to go do that and put proper programming in place and get that done. If you have a health issue, like you're a diabetic, we're going to use evidence-based practices and protocols to help you get you back to normal and then help you actually graduate from normal to um, improved quality of life. And then the lifestyle, say you're not either one, but you're going to the gym because you're looking just to be healthy. You're looking to be a lifestyle because you want longevity in your life. You want to grow up and you know dance with your daughter. Um, at a wedding, or you want to play with your kids, when your grandkids, when you get a chance, we help you get through that as well. Now, where the, where you're talking about, so what we're educating you on are the four pillars, what I consider the four pillars of human performance, right? So one is mindset, two is movement, the third one is recovery, and then nutrition. Now recovery, now nutrition comes in part of recovery along with sleep and all that kind of stuff, but it has a dual application, right? So that's where we look at it. But the mindset's the most important because if you don't have the the will or the drive, okay, or the belief to take yourself from one spot to the other, more than likely that's where people fail. So we want to start with the mindset. Where do you want to go? What are your goals? And how are we going to help you accomplish that in a way you understand? That's what we want to get to because when you do that, then your movements are going to be better. You're going to actually be more focused on the movement and get that done. Now, remember, okay, exercise is predicated on just a couple of things, right? It's predicated on training, um, stress, recovery, and then adaptation, okay? So we want to, that's where the movement comes from. So with that in there, that goes from the movement. We want to exercise. I say we want to exercise the muscle, okay? We want to train the movement, and we want to practice the skill or the technique. Okay. So those are my pillars underneath movement. So we want to train the muscle, bane on lifestyle. You want to get strength. You want to get, um, you want to get exercise endurance, um, whether you're doing CrossFit, whether you're doing, um, trying to move on and, and get into doing some kind of other sport like uh, triathlons or something like that, or Taekwondo, we'll get your body set for that. We're trying to get the strength going on 
because strength, if you improve the strength in a muscle, it can actually go ahead and pull the muscle to shorten the joints to actually help you improve your technique. But the thing that's also important is because you're stressing it out, the fact that what happens when you stress those muscles out, you need to actually recover because when you're actually doing the work, you're actually tearing it down. You get stronger when you're recovering, and people tend to right. forget that, especially when they're trying to work out two to three times a day and they're not doing anything to allow themselves to recover and get stronger in the positions that they're trying to um, improve on, right? And that's where nutrition and, and the sleep, um, right. you know, different ways to recover. Um, sleep, to me, is the most important, okay? Um, trying to reduce inflammation in certain, um, certain joints is also important. Um, you know, trying to get the nutrients to recover and help your body repair. Obviously, that's when the nutrition comes in, which is, I mean, it can't be beat, honestly. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. Yeah, you cannot outrun the diet, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, what you put in your body to help your body refuel and then get that, get that move through to actually rebuild on what you tore down while you're training. So do you actually get a lot of clients or inquiries from people who want to train with you or uh, yeah, get involved with you and that they don't have the right mindset, so you have to turn them down? Actually, that's one of the things I do. So when I actually go through my assessment, so when people want to work with me, we do assessments to get in because I believe in if you don't assess, you're guessing. I don't like to guess because then I'm not helping people maximize and make the exercise or the program we're putting them in through efficient specifically for that individual, right? So in other words, in science, say N equals one, N equals being the random size, the random size being an individual person. And every program put together specifies for that one individual person. So we do things. I do DNA testing, right? I do DNA testing for nutrition. Do DNA testing for performance. I do DNA testing to work to check out and see what their um, factors and indicators are based on their genetic markers. So we can actually, doesn't mean we're not going to say you can't work out, but what do we have to do to help you reach your goals as safely, as effectively, and as efficaciously as possible? Um, well, but the main thing well, is, are they willing to do the work? Do they have the intrinsic motivation to get it done? Are they willing to get it done at that time? Right? Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. like you go to your doctor, your doctor says you have this, you have this illness and here's medicine. If you're not willing to take the medicine to help you get better, then what good did the doctor visit do you? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> so what actually, what kind of DNA tests do you run on your clients when it comes to nutrition? That's pretty interesting. Uh, so, you know, I have a company, so I just do a cheek swab. And we, it depends on what we're testing for. We can test anywhere from 54 to 110 markers and to get your, uh, your genetic makeup, okay? Um, but also, we determine your nutrition from there. We can also do um, sport identification from it. And we also have one I do for uh, um, anti-aging, saying here's some factors um, that you need to consider um, for anti-aging, including your micronutrients, um, your macronutrients, um, your exercise duration, Mm-hmm. That's interesting because this is actually the first time that I'm hearing about uh, these things, like not about DNA t- testing for nutrition in general, but uh, the specifics that you have just mentioned. So it's like 
yeah, very interesting stuff. So do you actually, when it comes to nutrition test for like, uh, uh, basically like glucose sensitivity or amylase and these things? Yeah. So, um, looking at your genetic markers, we can actually sit there and say, okay, based on your genetic markers, you're more likely going to have a tendency to either use carbohydrates more or use fat more, or you might be in a position to where you can actually use both. So it doesn't matter what, what, how we do your macronutrient makeup, your body's going to utilize them more, right? And then we tell you, okay, you can use this amount of protein or this one. Now that's only a matter for a general sitting because you still have to make adjustments for sport, your environment that you're also trying to get done, which also right. has a different marker. However, when it comes to the carbohydrates and the fats, we can tell that how your body's going to use those, or we can try to predict how your body's going to use those from the makeup, depending on how, you know, what the results come back from the test. We can also... Mm -hmm. we so, um, basically... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, go on. As far as sports performance, we can actually determine, you know, if you're going to be more for a power sport, um, set up more for endurance type of athletics, um, and so we can actually start doing markers on that too and help you guide towards more activities that uh, your body is going to be more natural to um, attract to or which way you're going to want to go and be more successful at. Right. Well, uh, and I guess that this is more for uh, people who are like on a advanced or elite level uh, as compared to people who just want to uh, change their lifestyle. Uh, exactly. Now, even then, you know, I've had athletes that were what we call genetic freaks in certain sports as far as, you know, as we talk about weightlifting a little bit. However, they don't have the mindset to continue to do that sport. So, you know, you know, they might have a genetic potential, yeah. but that's why mindset's so important. They don't have the they don't have the motivation to continue there. There's other environmental factors that are interfering with them being successful in the sport. They just don't have the drive to do it. Right, and that, that's why it's so important to have this kind of intake goals. Which actually brings me to another question, is like, uh, how to, from your perspective, how to be a great coach, what do you think that there is needed to bring the best out of people? So, <laughs> that's interesting, because I'm actually doing a project, and that's exactly what I'm working on right now, the coaching education, but what I want to start with mm -hmm. is everybody always talks about communication, right? Us as humans, the most important thing to us is communication and connectedness with people. Um, so I think the first thing to be a great coach, you have to understand what your motivation is, also what your behavioral style is, right? There's typically different behavioral styles and how words affect you, um, what body language affects you, what tone and pace affects you. For instance, listen on this thing, I talk fast, okay? Um, right. Some people... But it's also not all the time. <laughs> right. And some people get offended because I talk fast. They want to talk more slow. They don't want me to raise my voice. They want my tone to be more even keeled. Um, but if you have an athlete like that, what do you do? Do I talk fast to them or do I have to adapt to get them? In other words, um, to improve my communication with somebody, I typically want to adapt to their style, which means I have to understand what my style is first and accept it. That's my style. But at the same time, I have to understand that somebody the other person is different or maybe different so in order for them to actually want to listen to me and so we can actually have a better relationship i have to adapt what i'm doing 
to fit their style so that they can actually take in the communication that I'm trying to give them to help them be a better athlete, um, be a better, um, improve their health, or just to actually gain their trust. So that's the first one for me. Um, so the help to communication, you have to kick those in, 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 in place, you know, understand me, myself, accept who I am, understand what other people are. And as Carl Jung used to say, accept the otherness of the other, do something for, for the other person so that they actually trust you and then actually take in what you say and then use what you're giving them. To me, that is very important. And that's where the communication piece comes in. Um, the second piece is understanding your motivation, understand the athlete's motivation and why they're doing what they're doing, what they're willing to do um, to accomplish their goals or what they're not willing to do to accomplish their goals. Because you have to use that information. And when you get that information, you can actually, when you do the program for them, you can put that in. For instance, I may have an athlete that still wants to maybe go to the Olympics or maybe even just um, compete at a local um, bodybuilding show. I still have to know um, why they're doing it. What's their motivation? Are they doing it because they're you're a former athlete and they want to continue just to um, compete in something? Or are they actually trying to because they used to weigh a whole uh, quite a bit and now they just want to use something as a goal to keep them going in to actually drop weight. Right. Uh, understanding this motivation behind is really, really important from the perspective of even like uh, maybe not even reaching the goals, but being able to stick in with them for the long term. Correct. And so when, when you actually understand the person's behavioral style and their driving forces is what we'll call it, from there, you can actually go ahead and make plans for that particular person to be successful. And I think that's what a good coach does. Mm -hmm. A good coach has to know quite a bit about the field, even if he doesn't know, admit that he doesn't know, but then have a, uh, have a toolbox or, or a network where you can reach out to help that person get the answers that they need um, quickly. Definitely. And what has been the most challenging aspect of coaching for you? Uh, the most challenging aspect for coaching and for me is actually um, helping people understand that it's okay <laughs> to um, fail in practice. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the human nature is to actually be right. Okay. <laughs> Everything we do, the processions we try to sit out there is to prove that we're right. Um, but when you get in practice, it, the hardest thing to get people to say, you know what, my job as a coach is actually to stress your body out so you can actually grow. But if you're afraid to fail, then you're actually preventing yourself from growing because you're not allowing yourself to stretch, to stress itself, to reach. So that's been the hardest one to get people to reach further than they think they can. And I think uh, in order to do that, you first need to have a certain level of certainty of your skills, of your knowledge. And how did you actually reach that? How did you build it up? How did I build it up? How did the athlete build it up is what you're asking. Well, I, I think that's a two-part question. Uh, how, how did you build it up as okay. a coach? You know, as a coach, how I built it up is realize I, I don't know anything. Regardless of what my education level is, the one thing I realized, the more education I got, is less I knew. I wanted to ask more questions than I have answers. 
So continuously to try to grow myself as a coach um, and try to find answers. And then so I can apply those to when the situations uh, um, bring them um, present themselves is very important. So constant learning, you know, continuing education. So you have some certifications. They say, OK, you got to do 20 hours of um, continuous education. I think that's wrong. I think you got to pull in two hours a day of continuous education. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think spend time away researching stuff, finding answers. Right. And I think uh, the similar answer would be also from the athlete's perspective. You constantly want to learn, con uh, want to be curious about new things and uh, constantly practice. And, and that's exactly it. I mean, one of the greatest people on um, probably two of them, you know, one, the other one's my daughter, you know, the whole time growing up when she would make a mistake and, and even in gymnastics, not even in weightlifting, she would say, that's okay. I didn't get it today. I got to keep practicing and it will get better. Right. That was just our mindset. You know, we talked about uh, Rebecca. <laughs> she is great at that. You want to talk about somebody that just wants to learn anything she can You know, she's out there constantly seeking mentors, constantly seeking knowledge um, to get herself better for herself and for her clients. Right. And then her drive is her drive is out of the world. <laughs> you know, um, that that's just, you know, as much as coaches sometimes like to take credit for it. I don't get the credit for what her or my or what my daughter have accomplished. That is all theirs. I'm just a facilitator. Totally. You remind me of another person who I did a podcast with and who I'm cooperating with and he's like a sports psychologist. He would say, I think, the same thing regarding being the facilitator of change but not taking credit for the change that the person achieves. So I think there's a big... You're right. I mean, and that's absolutely right. I mean, so when I sit there and I look at it, there's some coaches I sit there where they're really trying to push their athletes because they're either trying to do it to improve their business, put their name out there to say, I'm an expert. I got these high end clients and all that kind of stuff, which is all good. And yeah, you need to make money so you can keep accomplish your mission. But is your mission there to actually improve other people or is your mission there to improve you and improve your name? I think that's where the difference comes in. But the fact of the coaches that I actually see where they're actually trying to push their name, when their athlete doesn't succeed or reach the goals that they wanted to, do you see those coaches take credit for that athlete, uh, quote unquote, failing? No, but they'll take credit. They'll blame the athlete, but they'll take credit when their athlete su succeeds. My philosophy is if you're not going to take credit for the athlete failing, you can't take credit when they succeed. Right. Definitely. I completely agree with that. So. Right. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting conversation we started having here regarding the coaching and all of these things. And I think that uh, this kind of coaches who actually want to make their name uh, through their athletes and like you mentioned, probably the most successful coaches are not very known. And I see it uh, just... Generally speaking, like on social media, there are a lot of people who lots of knowledge, like yourself, and uh, they generally don't have a big followings. While there are people who have like really huge followings that they don't know as much. Like, uh, well, <laughs> they are just popular. 
and there is a difference between popularity and knowledge or actual uh, what they bring into the game so and I see that in or I saw that in myself and I see it constantly in like people who are new to coaching that uh, they try hard right and they mistake this kind of uh, popularity for being knowledgeable and being uh, useful I would say well you know that's exactly right and you know honestly one of the things I'm fighting right now is just that you know I'm actually trying to yeah I'm trying to reach more people through my athletes through my service you look at my Instagram page I try not to put myself in the picture that's <laughs> meanwhile I got I, I'm, I'm being asked Dave, do more videos. Get out there. Put. The, it doesn't seem like your Instagram page doesn't seem authentic because it's not. You're not out there. You're not in front. I don't want to be out in front. Every picture you see up there is a picture of an athlete or somebody I've been in contact with. It's not. A, it's about them. It's not about me. Right. I get pleasure in the back end from the success they they have. Hey, they trusted me. I appreciate them trusting me to help them achieve their goals. It's their goals that's important to me. Right. You know. I get success, um, you know, on the back end when they're done. I get, I'm happy to stand behind a curtain and smile all day long, yeah. watching them out there flourish. That, that actually reminds me of uh, one of the quotes from my online mentor, Jeffrey Combs. I don't know if you know him. And uh, let me paraphrase it. I think he's uh, put that question like, Uh, do you want to be recognized or successful? So there's two different things. Exactly. I'd rather be successful. And you know why? Because when I pass from this world, the legacy I leave is not going to be because of they saw my face. It's going to be because of the number of people I've, I've been able to touch through practice. And when everybody else touches, it becomes your reach becomes more exponential mm -hmm. through their success. Definitely. I, I, I really love to have these kind of deep conversations. Actually, one of your athletes, as I was scrolling through your Instagram page, uh, I think her name was Sarah. And you actually wrote in one of those posts that she simultaneously lost body fat increased lean muscle mass, mass and increased her strength. So that's something that is thought to be like uh, very hard to do or even impossible to do, especially with with a person who is like not new to training. So can you tell us more about Sarah and how you helped her achieve that things? <laughs> um, the Sarah I believe you're talking about is actually my wife. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, um, you know, I don't fall into this, the thing where people say you can't build, you can't build muscle while you're actually in a deficit. Well, I, or you can't build strength at the same time. I don't know how that is because you've seen, um, a lot of athletes are in weight classes. They do it all the time if they do it appropriately. <laughs> right. Um, I did the same thing with my daughter. So we're talking about Sarah, and then we got Peyton. Did the same thing with Rebecca. Their lean muscle mass increased while they were dieting down for shows, which means they're dropping body fat. 
their strength went up because their muscles are still being fed and their recovery period allowed them to actually increase strength, which actually allowed them to increase more muscle density. Mm-hmm. So, but there was, but the fat was going away. So how is that possible? What's the magic? <laughs> There's no magic. <laughs> um, the main thing <laughs> is like, you know, is just realize it's time. Nothing's going to happen fast. Right. But it's just a matter of keeping an eye on it. You know, for instance, when we're watching, because I do assessments. So when I do assessments, I actually did, I actually checked body fat using ultrasound, not skin fold. And so, because that was important as far as where it's coming from the, t- um, from the outside in. So as I've tested the body fat, then I knew where their muscle, so where their weight was, their, their, their skin fold numbers are going down. So their adipose tissue was number was going down, but yet their lean muscle mass and their, um, their fluid volume were going up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what we do, um, we just, yeah, we put them in a deficit as you know, do everything else. But then I also took away, I put more fat in took carbohydrates away, you know, just remove those, but the proteins went up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, it doesn't and matter. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I suppose that you also manipulated the nutrition timing, right? Like eating mostly around the workouts. I increased the time under tension and the workouts. So the nutrition went right along with the workouts, including rest days where the calories were even lower. Um, they had to rest, um, the recovery, but they're still getting the nutrition in, um, on top of it, the amount of exercise we did, right? Because you're talking about when you go a higher intensity, it's also muscle sparing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you also start talking about manipulating the endocrine system through the repetitions and exercise and rest periods. Okay. Um, Charles Pelequin did quite a bit of it. I mean, there's research out there that shows you can actually, depends on how heavy you went or the rest period you had, you can actually go ahead and have a direct um, impact on, on testosterone or the human growth um, hormones, mm-hmm. right? So we test those sites and then we can tell, okay, Based on these sites, this person is um, going to androgenic. You know, for a female, we're talking about on the back of the tricep, also on the bellicus and the belly or on the top of the knee. But the ones that are the research actually shows that indicates insulin sensitivity. So you can actually determine I need to go put more to get more testosterone through exercise. So we're going to do this format. We're going to go heavier. We're going to go to 12, 15 repetitions. And we're actually going to take 30 to 45 seconds rest. We want to get them and uh, um, push their elastic threshold levels to get testosterone up. Right. That sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm not very well in the terms of exercise, so that's all, all new stuff to me. So I was more, or I'm more educated in the terms of nutrition itself. So uh, that that was something that I could ask more about. But uh, it seems like basically you went more into the uh, ranges when it comes to. Uh, yeah, li- lighter weights and more repetitions. So more like, I would not call it aerobic style of training, but more airing more on that side. Yeah, it wouldn't be aerobic style training because, you know, you look at the energy systems and I believe that's what they're referring to. So I stay mainly in the phosphogen and anaerobic glycolic phases of the exercises. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, another thing I don't do that you see 
you typically see in, in, in like the physique world, they'll actually lift heavy to try to get bigger muscle bellies, what they call their bulking phase of the season, right? Right. But then all of a sudden they go high repetitions, 20 to 25 when they're getting ready for their shows. And that's why they think they're losing muscle. Well, if you want to maintain your muscle, continue lifting heavy and let the diet take off the fat. The muscles will continue to get strong because remember you have the said principle. If you exercise the muscles to stay strong, they will actually break down and, and get strength and they can actually still grow. But if you actually change it and take it to a different factor, because when you go to memory, we go to 20, 25 repetitions, you're working a different muscle fiber. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So, and you're working, you, go ahead. Yeah. And you don't need to do things like increase cardio and those things. Correct. So just take your time, start out far enough. And, and don't don't go don't go to extreme. Still do the recovery. Still sit there and have them have them program them correctly and design the um, nutrition around the way you're programming the exercise. But just kind of like you know what? Let's put it this way: Would you actually invite somebody to the dance? Invite them to the prom. Once you get to the prom, you're going to go dance with your friend's girlfriend. Hopefully not. No. Dance with the girl who got you to the prom. Stay with your date. So if you're lifting heavy off-season and you're going through the periodization tables where you're going through four to six repetitions, six to 12, and 12 to 15, and then you repeat that, just keep doing that while you're preparing for the show and just move your nutrition around. Mm -hmm. Go into a right. deficit. So now I'm trying to wrap my mind around it because you really blew my mind and uh, actually how to use that in terms of like in combination with conditioning because my main sport and most of my listeners like are on the endurance side and I do, I'm not sure if you are aware like OCR, which is like obstacle cross racing, which is uh, yes, I am mostly based on. Ah, okay, perfect. So it's mostly endurance based, but you also need to build strength or have a certain amount of strength, right? Correct. And uh, the tip, the typical, uh, uh, what is said like in bodybuilding communities, right? Like cardio kills your gains and things like this. So it's not completely true. And uh, what, what would be the best practice for an OCR athlete who wants to simult simultaneously build strength, power, and also keep or improve their endurance? So they need to do a lot of cardio as well. Okay. So typically when I actually had them, for instance, I actually had several people um, that wanted to get to the, um, they wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. A couple of things I did with them to help them improve their strength. I helped them recognize my job would get you to the 21 mile mark. <laughs> your job in your mind is going to get you to the 26.2 mile mark. Okay. So we actually just broke them down and what our strength we based on. So instead of doing all power, we actually focus more on the higher rep ranges. Okay. Um, body weight, total body, 
um, things that uh, um, help them get over, like for as far as obstacle course racing, you have to do a lot of upper body strength um, in between your runs. And then you got the legs and then you have to get them down. So we did uh, quite a bit like you're going to do walkie lunges for 400 meters. Okay. When you get done with that, you're going to jog for 400 meters. And then when you get with that, you're actually going to go do, give me um, 12 or 15 um, jumping pull-ups over on, on that bar. Because now their body's getting used to the, the energy systems. You're going back and forth because when you're doing obstacle course racing, you are using the phosphogen. You are using anaerobic glycolic, and you're, but you're also using the aerobic capacity, right? So when you do, so exactly. understanding the competition model that the person's doing and have them work within that competition model is just strength conditioning principles. Okay, but one thing. So basically, so basically, simulate the race during the training. Correct. And but you do it with training. You train the movements that they're going to be doing. And you're actually providing strength in those movements because you can actually add, you can use resistance bands on them, or you can actually have them do more than what they're typically going to do on the platform. Okay. You're only going to get, only, you're going to use, it's going to take you six arm extensions to get up on that wall. So what we're going to do, we're going to stress that out. We're going to have you do 12 pull-ups, which is an arm extension and, and, you know, and, and a pull to mimic that movement. That's where we say we train the movement and during that, you're actually going to increase your strength. But once you get into the obstacle court race, then you're able to get you're able to get through it. I mean, I did obstacle course races. I mean, I did the men's health over Banathon a couple of times. Obstacle courses were, I mean, getting all the obstacles. I was great. I, I had the power input to do it. In between is where I didn't do so well. <laughs> I was I was able to, I was able to step myself through the aerobic capacity of it, right? <laughs> but meanwhile, I had other people that actually I had other athletes that I had the aerobic part. They did that well. And then I had to help them with the obstacle course, but they were trained for it. So it's just a matter of where we sit. Okay. I mean, even when I was in the military, you know, I did, I actually was on what they call a combat, combat team, um, which means we, we got together, we ran obstacle courses, you know, a mile and a half obstacle course, the stuff you see, you know, in some movies and sometimes on shows, which actually was kind of fun. Um, but my, I was on a team because I was a strong one on the obstacles. So I had a, I was able to get to the obstacle first and I had enough strength left over to where I helped every, assist everybody else. And then they had to help me through the runs. <laughs> what, what, where they pulling you? Well, sometimes, you know, you just undo your belt halfway and let me grab onto it and you drag me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, in OCR, like, uh, Uh, world championships there are also like team relays where uh, you have like team of three people and uh, one, one person is like a runner the other the other part is uh, strength based and the third part is that all three of them do together so it's like yeah, you would excel in that strength part somebody will be pulling the running part and then pulling you the two of them would pull you through the third part that you would do all together i think you could excel in that yes and so it's just a matter you know it's a matter again what your sport is but if you go and look at it um you're just trying to push your body you know you know the scientific terms when you're talking about the elastic threshold is millimoles you're trying to increase the millimoles To get the elastic threshold pushed up, even when you're doing obstacle courses, 
And that's where you stress out. And over time, you push that lactic threshold level. So when you're doing obstacle course training, marathon training, you're trying to push that. And that's where people get faster for a longer period of time. That's where the muscular endurance comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So but let's you always, talk. Yeah. Go ahead. Go on. The nutrition factor for an obstacle course racer, racer though, is actually going to be more carbohydrates versus more fats, though. And they don't need yeah, as much. definitely, because, because of the systems that you are using, actually, during the training. Correct. And you don't need as much protein intake. Yeah, as compared to a bodybuilder, for example, or powerlifter. Right. So typically for a bodybuilder or, or somebody who's doing a strength sport, you're looking at about, you know, they talk about um, anywhere between 0.8 and 1.2, okay, grams per, per body weight. As far as an endurance, you can actually move that down. It's below 0.8. You know, typically it's going to be between about 15 to 20% of their um of their daily caloric intake. Yeah, and I see that, uh, like, even at 15%, uh, it's, it can creep into, like, 2 grams per kilogram when it comes to protein just because of the high-calorie amount. Correct. So, and then you got to look at the total energy expenditure that the athlete's taking in. Okay. Um, you look at the average man walking around, he probably needs about 1,800 calories, 5, 10, 170 pounds. Um, you get taller than that, you need more calories. That's just to walk around every day and think. But when you start adding um, the exercise, right, you start adding your running, you start adding your obstacle course, start adding your workouts in, then you really need to understand how much energy you're expelling because you still need to be in a surplus to keep moving. You need to at least take it in to at least – balance it out otherwise you're going to be dropping weight right definitely um, unless you want to do body recomposition like correction before so uh actually when we were speaking about nutrition also like uh, and we mentioned rebecca and uh, she's like in a kind of special situation as she's vegan right so uh what was it actually challenging to get her to get like lower carbohydrates because you know plants are are very rich in carbohydrates while pretty low on protein and especially leucine so was it challenging from that perspective um the most challenging part for me was you know you know first of all because i'm not vegan so i had to i had to accept um rebecca's uh, principles And, and, and again, it, because it's based on the individual athlete, knowing that she was vegan, I just had to sit there. And my biggest thing is all I did was sit there and make sure her micronutrients were being incorporated. She was hitting the right amount. Like, for instance, you know, her vitamin D um, levels were, were um, at least high, which is almost 8,000 um, IUs. Okay. Um, I had to mm-hmm. make sure the micros were getting in. But then just actually, I just did the regular um, percentages, protein, carbohydrates, and fats, and, and, and let her actually design what foods that she liked. So it was based on what she liked, but using okay. the macros that I know to get it done, but then focused on the micros. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that actually the micro micros or micronutrients is something that is not spoken much about. It's always about like macros. What's the best macros? What kind of macros do you follow? And nobody gives a shit about micronutrients. <laughs> right. What you said, because you got to remember the micros are actually what helps the body, um, you know, synthesize the macros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you don't have, if your micros aren't balanced, you know, or or, or relatively close to where they need to be, um, good luck. You're going to do. You're going to be eating a lot and wasting a lot of it. And that's my view. But nobody's been able to prove me wrong yet. Yeah, and it also helps you to uh, with recovery, with stress, and this is something that we can uh, dive into right now. Right now, like uh, what would be the best. Uh, things or best practices for these hardworking athletes to actually recover from the workouts, and we are, we all already mentioned some of those things like sleep and nutrition and micronutrients. But let's recap it. Yeah, you know. So first of all, let's. I mean, let's just keep it. So first of all, acute fatigue is what happens when your body starts to break down in the middle of the exercise. But that's actually needed to help your body um, to stop from the work output or slow it down and keep it under control, okay? Um, but the primary recovery foes is that most people do. I, mean, I, I read a quick list. I actually happen to have it in front of me, like I said. So the first one is complete rest. You know, take a day off, right? Another one is active recovery. A lot of times, and I did this with what we'll keep talking about Rebecca, on typically on Sundays, which is her day off out of the gym, she just did 45 minute, nice, easy, steady state recovery. That's a re- active rest. Keep the body just moving, push the blood through, help the nutrients get through the muscles and help it recover. Okay. Um, adjust your training when you, when you have to, sometimes you get athletes that are just so stuck and they have to follow the training the way their coaches or, or their, or specialists write it down step by step, every rep. And, they're not listening to the body that's trying to get that acute fatigue portion and say, Hey, you need to slow down. We're not able to do this today. And they don't do that. So being able to adjust the training. Okay. You got to be flexible on the training. Sleep is the most important thing that I, that I think people need to get into. Okay. So there's several factors around that one. Nutrition is the next one. Um, hydration is something that's also something that is not talked about a lot, um, for people as far as recovery goes. Um, then we talk about hydrotherapy, okay? Um, that's more like you can get into massage, compression, okay? Um, those are some of the things you, you, I think you're referring to to help them recover. So, you know, the main thing to, to consider um, when you're actually looking at uh, what recovery methods you're going to do, I think, is to talk about the type of training you're doing, um, your training environment that you're getting into, and the sport that you're doing. You know, we do a lot of compressions for our weightlifting athletes, right? Because they're they're squatting almost every day. So we put compressors on, try to move the inflammation in and out. You know, sometimes you do ice bath. You know, you're doing cryotherapy, hydrotherapy, just for that compression factor, just to help the um to move the blood in and out and try to keep the inflammation, the bad inf- bad inflammation down, <laughs> right? But nothing replaces sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nothing replaces yeah, your nutrition. Definitely. Or your, or your I think hydration. these things like cryotherapy or maybe even just swimming, anything that uh, relieves like weight on your legs 
would be also suitable for runners. Right. Uh, you know, here's something that we haven't talked about a little bit, but people need to talk about as far as when you consider recovery, Definitely. recovery is part of the stress adaptation cycle, right? Which, are, which includes, you know, the training, the fatigue, the recovery, and then the super compensation. You know, if you train good and hard for two to three weeks and all of a sudden you take a week to let your body deload and then all of a sudden you go back up, you're finding out you're actually stronger. Um, just like some people will go in the gym sometimes and they take a week off or a day or two and they go back, they're like, I'm actually stronger. I thought I'd be weaker. You know, that's because they allowed the body recover and heal. So it's setting itself up so it doesn't have to go through that stress that you actually put through it before. Yeah. You know, instead of thinking I need to work out two to three times a day every day until I fall apart, you know, which you'll see a lot of when, you know, that can kill you. <laughs> oh, hopefully it will not. But yeah, there are a lot of people, especially like from the perspective of amateur athletes who just uh, exercise like day in, day out and they are chasing some goal but their recovery or they are not allowing their body to recover and i see this as a common theme right and you know one thing that's um, commonly overlooked as far as recovery going because um we tend to think about when we talk about recovery and exercise that it actually only has a physiological um disruption but there's also a psychological disruption involved mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point. um and so if you don't allow yourself to recover depression sets in and if the depression sets in you don't have the mindset to continue working yeah you know um and we talk about it from a holistic standpoint depression sets in it starts affecting all the other um environmental things your relationships um your thought on the exercise your thought on the program you go through and that can have a, a detrimental effect in the long run if you don't get that under control and look at it um as needed yeah definitely that's where it's like kind of cycle that uh, at the beginning exercise can help you relieve for example anxiety and help improve your uh, mental aspect but if it reaches or extends certain line certain level it can be actually become hurtful because like you mentioned it starts hurting your relationships because you suddenly don't have energy or time to meet with people that care about you or you care about and uh, yeah all, all that you are thinking about is maybe like exercising so you become a compulsive exerciser and you spend all the energy that you have which is still getting lower and lower because you are just beating yourself up and not recovering enough right which brings this whole things back full circle to the back to the four pillars of human performance, which is the first one is mindset. So it just it just brings it all the way back around on why they're all important. And again, why I think mindset it's, is the most important. It's very nice to recap this all together. So I really thank you for your time, David. I really appreciate all the things that you have shared with me and with the people that are listening and as i already said it's like my mind is blown and i'm humbled by the knowledge that you shared with me and uh, which is good because i see that i have a lot of studying to do 
Yeah. <laughs> we both do. <laughs> we both do. You know, before we get off, I'd just like to mention, you know, the big factors, factors we talk about were mainly recovery and regeneration. Um, you know, the benefit of that, it helps with your competitiveness, right? It also helps with your skill and decision-making abilities, you know, and then overall it helps with your improved performance, either technical, physical, or you're in your recovery program as well. So um, it all plays together. Nothing's yeah, more definitely. important than the other. So where can actually people who want to learn more, uh, where can they reach you? you already mentioned, we already mentioned the Instagram. Um, right now, the best way to reach me on Instagram, um, Google follow or um, reach out and direct message me if you uh, want to. My website is actually going to probably be up at the end of the month, which is uh, www.e3fitology, spelled F-I-T. O L O G Y dot com. Um, that'd be up in a little bit. Um, probably about a, okay. another month. That Perfect. Be uh, I will make sure to put it down in the show notes as always. So people can just click through and get to you and to reach you. So I'm very excited, uh, for this episode. Once again, for all the things that you've shared with us and I will say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>